Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And before we get into the episode proper on Agamonia, I have a quick shout out and favor to ask of everyone out there. So if you're listening to this episode when it drops tomorrow, Monday, February 26th, we are launching our Game Found Pledge Manager for Flame and Fang. Now, if you haven't backed the game yet, don't worry. You can still get in on it during this pledge manager. So it will be on Game Found and you will be able to pledge a full copy of the game. I'm just going to say, if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, or if you're debating on whether to get it or wait, please, if you like what we've done, if you like 424 episodes of the podcast, if you like our hundreds of videos on the YouTube channel, please consider supporting us. It's less than $50 all in with the shipping included for a copy of what I believe is our best game that we've produced to date. So it's called Flame and Fang. You get to be a dragon. Everybody's cooperatively playing dragons together. It is a deck building game. Every mission is completely unique. It is so much fun. But even if you just believe in us and want to see us succeed, please consider supporting us for this campaign. It's not going to be open very long. That's the other great part about this. We're talking about probably less than a month on GameFound before the games are completely printed and ready to ship out to everybody. So we're anticipating, and the factory told us mid-March, all the games will be printed and ready to ship out. Now, what I'd love to happen is for us to have so many more orders that we have to not delay it because we are still going to ship wave one out when it comes. But if we have to do a second wave of shipping, it would only be a little bit after that. But I would love to, uh, for us to have that problem, right? And if we get in touch with them in time, and if everybody backs day one starting tomorrow, and we can let them know we need to up that print order, we won't even have that delay. And that's my goal. My hope is, you know, right now we've sold about a thousand copies. I'm hoping to sell two, 3,000 copies. I know it's a big goal, but it certainly will help us not only get this game out, at an affordable rate for everybody going forward into the future. Show us that there's a demand out there, so we'll go make expansions, keep working on the system, because I love the system itself. I love what we've done with it. I love how unique every mission is, and we can make it better, too, with whatever feedback we get from this. You know, the expansions will be even better. We've worked with the system for a while, so I'm pretty comfortable with it, but whenever the, these things get out into the public, we know that a lot more insight comes out from you, our players. So we are super excited about it. We put our heart and soul into this game for the last two plus years. So if you want to support us, want to support what we're doing, trying to create a publishing house, please consider going out and supporting us, getting a copy. You can get two copies, get it for a friend. We'd love any support you can give us on this. I'm going to put a quick podcast episode out tomorrow just to let you know when the campaign is starting. I might have another couple of quick announcements on that one as well, as far as things we didn't even announce in the original Kickstarter campaign, other ways for you to enjoy this game and uh, things we've added onto it since the Kickstarter campaign ended. So we're pretty excited to announce that stuff, but it'll be more of a, hey, the game found is live now, go check it out. And oh, by the way, here's some other things you're getting, which we didn't even promise you in the original campaign. All original backers of the campaign are getting these bonuses as well. So pretty excited for you guys to hear about it tomorrow. Please stay tuned and please consider backing. It really does help us continue to do what we're doing and help make our dreams come true. Thank you. 
Hey, it's Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. And today we're reviewing a really exciting one, Agamonia, the campaign adventure game. I'm glad you said it, not me. Agemonia. <laughs> Agamonium. Uh, yes. Uh, and we will be having a design discussion at the end about like players actions, like what you can do, different options. You know, some games have like move and attack only for options. Bloomhaven does it in a unique way. Some have resources and some don't. So just different ways of doing your actions in a dungeon crawling game. Yeah, I was going to say specifically like dungeon crawlers and boss battlers, what we're looking at here. Yep. All right. And uh, yeah, let's uh, thank a few patrons first. If you didn't know, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash one stop. There are now close to 60 ish exclusive videos over there. Extra discussions with me and Peter, top 10 lists. I'm doing a top 100 uh, ranking list of like all time on the channel right now. And I have uh, bonus videos to go with that this month. So lots of cool stuff over there. If you want to come and support us, it helps us pay for all the stuff we do and get games and re- recording equipment and all of that. So yes, we wanted to thank a few of our Patreon supporters. Uh, we'll thank Jean-Louis Badge- Baldwin. Hopefully I got that right. Lithrak, Julia Kruger, James Eldridge, and Matt Milliar. Uh, can't tell which of those are I's and L's. M- Milliar, maybe. Wait, you don't think my French uh, pronunciation was perfect there, Peter? Oh, no. Everything was perfect there. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I'm glad it is you, not me. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but yes, uh, thanks to our amazing patrons for supporting us. And if uh, supporting the channel on Patreon does not fit into your budget right now, you can also just leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. That helps out a ton. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Come and say some comments. Jump on our Discord. Lots of uh, free ways to join our little co-op family and say hi. And support us on Kickstarter and GameFound when we have games under MVP Board Games, which is our uh, our other fun thing we do beside the one-stop co-op shop. We will either have the GameFound campaign live or going live very shortly for Flame and Fang. If you've already supported us, thank you. But we hopefully will have another way for you to uh, get in on it if you miss it the first time. But it will be short-lived, that is for sure, because these games are printing and uh, almost ready to ship. Yeah, definitely. Well, we were excited for our first self-published game to be out. It'll be great. But let's get to uh, some things we've been playing recently. You want to go first, Peter, or you want me to? I can go first. So I'll talk about 40K first, and then I'll save the exciting one for later. So been playing more 40K with my son. I borrowed an army from Jerry of Necrons, which are like undead robots, which sounds weird because like all robots are kind of undead but <laughs> and i just said robots i don't know what that means oh yeah no it's definitely robots I like, uh, all, all the robots <laughs> robots coming after us <laughs> yes so undead robots uh i don't know i i just love the theme of it i love the the guys coming back this game came down to literally the very last roll of the game nick needed to do one more wound to one of my people who was controlling a point and he would have won unfortunately for him my person stayed strong and uh and lived through that final attack and so i won on the very last turn of the game which is exciting because last time we had played i kind of beat him pretty badly so this time super exciting end i'm enjoying 40k i'm trying to get him into other miniatures games i want to try marvel crisis protocol with him Mm. and uh hopefully he will like that one as well because i think it's a little bit shorter so that that excites me shorter less models less stuff to pay attention to nice yeah, I'm glad you're having fun with that. I, I was into 40K hard, like when I was a uh, 
just around like nine or 10 into my teen years. Not really playing it, just like buying armies and then looking at them <laughs> and re- rereading the source books over and over again and thinking about playing. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, right now you would just buy sticks and rocks and just look at them. So you can that, do that's, that. That's entirely right. I, I could even <laughs> maybe play with them. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'll mention a couple. Actually, you know what? Both of mine that I'm going to mention are crowdfunding ones. I'll do one that's very time sensitive because as of the airing of this episode, you probably have like three days left on this campaign or four. And that is Dyson Crusoe. So like a die like that you roll with an S-O-N at the end, Dyson Crusoe. I think you mentioned this before. Oh, wait, did I mention this already? I think you did last time, but... Go ahead. Keep going. No, all right. I'll, I'll, be, I'll do it real quick and then I'll do a different one. Yeah, so this is a dice placement game that is a solo only kind of like take on a Robinson Crusoe survival game. It's got a Rondell movement. It's got stuff like Nautilian. It's really fun. Apparently, I've talked about it before. So instead, I will talk about... Oh, I know. I, I played the uh, updated rules of Dark Souls. You remember Dark Souls, Peter? I mean, I remember the game. I don't remember anything about the game. Like, I know it is a game that we played. So Dark Souls is based on the video game IP. This is a board game from Steamforge Games. And it's it's kind of like a dungeon crawler, boss battler sort of thing where you're fighting people and leveling up. Then you get to these boss fights with to have like kind of their own card based uh, resolution system. It's really cool. So the old game was uh, somewhat loved, but somewhat maligned. The rules, like people didn't like a lot of them. There were tons of like different variants going around. Like the game was very grindy and took too long and very repetitive. So there's been so many different things done to it, but in the last three releases, they came out with like three different like standalone sets. They all use the same new rule set and I played it. I recorded a video of it and it is way better. It is better in every way. Now, is it so much better that it's good? (laughs) I mean, I think at this point I could say it is good. I was having a fun time playing. Is it okay. great, like over other dungeon crawlers and such? Eh. But if you really love the Dark Souls IP, I think now it's it's highly enjoyable. Like it's it's finally like it's it's good. It's definitely good. So yeah, people can watch the uh, playthrough and like little mini review I'll have uh, soon on the channel to kind of judge for themselves. But yes, it is certainly way better than it was, <laughs> at least for my taste. <laughs> but how about you, Peter? What's your second one? My second one is Dune, the War for Arrakis, and I just played it today. Haven't finished the game, probably about halfway through. It's a, it's a pretty lengthy one. It's designed by the same people that designed War of the Ring and Battle of Five Armies, which are like, you know, the definitive, at least War of the Ring is considered like the definitive Lord of the Rings game. This attempts to do the same thing for the Dune universe. It is going to be the war, like the second movie, basically. I know we haven't seen the second movie. It hasn't come out yet, but it's like the war that's going on in the second movie. One person's playing the Harkonnen. The other one's playing the Atreides and you're fighting it out. Well, Peter, Peter, both you and I have seen the classic David Lynch adaptation of Dune. So we know exactly what's going to happen. Patrick Stewart's going to be there. Sting's going to fight with a knife. You know, all the good stuff. Yes, they have all those characters and you do get to level up. And they've taken, in my opinion, some of the best stuff from War of the Ring which is the fighty stuff. So I guess it's similar to Battle of Five Armies in that way. I don't remember how exactly the combat worked in Battle of Five Armies, but here combat's very simple. Like you can have up to six units in a space and you roll a dice for each unit and 50% of the sides have hits 
two fifths or two sixths of the sides or one third, I guess, of the sides have blocks. And the other one has a special ability where if you have leaders with you, it triggers whatever they have. And honestly, there aren't even words on those. It's like some of them are a dagger, some of them are shields, some are two daggers, some are two daggers and a shield. They could have all kinds of combinations depending on the leader you have with you. So again, very simple, very straightforward. You're just looking at how many daggers you have versus how many shields you remove that many units from the other person. Really very simplified, straightforward combat. They've also taken out like from War of the Ring, the ring track. So really streamlined, simplified stuff. The Arconan definitely have a military advantage and their goal is to go out and find all of the like, not find, you see them on the board, but bases that the Atreides player has. The Fremen sieges, I would imagine it is, right? Yes, that is correct. And each siege is worth a different amount of victory points. That's the hidden part. You don't know how many each is worth at the beginning of the game. And the Trades units are hidden at the beginning of the game as well. You have these little, uh, you remember uh, Space Hulk, where they have those little like blip tokens? Absolutely. I remember Space Hulk. I love Space Hulk. Yeah, so you can move these little tokens around that tell you what units you'll get when they spawn, but you don't, you know, you just see them as little tokens for the Atreides. So there's a little bit of kind of hidden movement bluffing type stuff. I mean, you kind of get what you get. It's not like you're, you know, intentionally putting whatever, wherever you kind of get what you get. You can move them however you want. But, uh, you know, sometimes you get some weaker units. Sometimes you have some better units. So that part's kind of neat, too. Overall, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward game. But I'm I'm having a ton of fun with it. No, so you're kind of burying the lead, Peter. What I really want to hear about because I I have full confidence. I love the competitive game. Are you playing the solo mode? I have not played the solo oh, mode yet. Okay, okay. So you can only play as the Atreides in the solo mode, and the Harkonnen also have these little blip tokens, but they really just use them for spawning. But from my understanding, you're going to be moving them around in the solo game like as hidden units moving around for the Harkonnens as well. So you don't have 100% information like when you're getting into a battle and things like that, exactly what you're going to be fighting against. I haven't even read the rules for Solo, but it's a decent number of pages, like six pages of Solo rules at the end and a pretty thick deck of actions. I'm not, like I said, I haven't read it yet. I'm not sure how it works. It seems pretty intricate. It doesn't seem like one of those things where it's basically like race to get a certain number of points or whatever. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it because I love War of the Ring and that never had an official solo mode. So if this one turns out good, I'll have to borrow it and film it. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, the game itself is super fun. I don't know if you'll like it as much as War of the Ring. It's the kind of game that I'm going to like better than you just because it's more streamlined version of that system. They take some stuff for sure from it. There's, I mean, you can certainly feel that it's made by the same people. But I really like some of the streamlining and things. So I guess the action resolutions and other things. So War of the Ring had it where you'd roll dice and you could do certain actions based on those dice rolled. Well, they still have that. But like you have like cards underneath them now so you can see exactly what you can do. And depending on what leaders you've unlocked, they can do like a special action. So instead of just doing like a muster action, I could do a special muster action if I have a certain character unlocked, you know, that goes under that that spot. Oh, that's cool. Or I can do an, a normal muster. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know where this impression of you, of me, is coming from for you, where I don't like streamlined games. <laughs> that's that's been my that's the main thing I go for a lot of the times these days. Well, I know, but sometimes with streamlining, as you know, you lose, I guess, some of the thematic stuff. 
Like oh, you're see. not hunting for the ring and things like that. Well, but that's that's not Dune anyway. I love well, right. Dune is one of my absolute favorite IPs along with Lord of the Rings. So I, I don't want it to be the same as War of the Ring. I just want it to be a great game, you know? Yes. And I feel like it is a very, very good game. I, I thought it would be much shorter. And maybe it's just because I'm playing with my son. And it's our first game. But it's not as short as I thought it was going to be. I thought it would be like, you know, a good two hours or whatever. And we're already two hours in and we're, I don't know, half, maybe three quarters of the way through. So, uh, but it is a learning game. So th- there is that. All right. Well, I'm very excited to play it. And I'll be quick with my last one since that was a, a deeper dive. Um, I got a prototype in of the upcoming Horror on the Orient Express cooperative game that I know you and Jerry played at PAX, Peter, and I played at Gen Con. Yep. And one of the designers, one of the co-designers of the game, uh, Miha, he was nice enough to get on TTS and kind of refresh the game with me and like reteach me the rules. And man, you know, I know you and Jerry were kind of overwhelmed by it, but now that's the second time that I was playing it. I actually remembered far more of the rules than I thought, which I guess shows that that was a good first teach with uh, with Adam, I think is the uh, designer of that one. But yeah, uh, it was it was fun, man. I mean, once again, I got my butt kicked, but hey, they uh, he showed me that there is an easy variant now. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm definitely going to film the easy variant when I do this for the preview because they design games very hard and it was great. Yeah, lots of lots of crazy uh, Cthulhu shenanigans on the train. I found out one person was not a cultist before I had to stop early. I wasn't dead yet, so maybe I would have survived. But uh, yeah, the, the the designer was like, "Oh, you're doing okay. I, I bet I bet with your current skill level, you would have a ten percent win rate at the normal difficulty." And I was like, "Yeah, hey, great." <laughs> See, whenever there are win rates like that, I just assume that the designer screwed up. It sounds like here they're doing it on purpose. Yeah, well, so number one, they're doing it on purpose. This design team, well, at least uh, Adam, you know, he's the one behind Frostpunk and this war of mine. So he wants very challenging things. And Miha said the same thing, that he like really wants challenging games. That's what he goes for. But again, the, the, they they now have, so it's a four, like, uh, I'll remember if you remember this from when you played, Peter, but at the end of each of your turns, you draw a token from a bag and that's the primary driver of badness. Yep. So what you can do to make the game easier is add from one to four of these easy tokens that not only help you when you draw them, but also use up your draw for that turn. Right. So if you add all four of them, I would imagine the game would you know not be easy, easy, but I would imagine it would be potentially like winnable almost every time, like 80% victory. So I, I don't really mind difficulty variants as long as you give me the options, you know, and I can sure. make it easier. Because I'm not going to play a game that has a 10% victory rate with my son. You know what I mean? Like, this is not going to ever happen. (laughs) Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. So, and that's not my cup of tea either. Like, I like challenging myself, but not right from the get-go. Not not as the default difficulty mode. If I want to challenge myself, I like being able to push it up. Um, But it sounds like it's easy enough to make the difficulty easier. So, I don't mind that. Yeah, no, I, I think it is. But anyway, so that that one uh, should be on the channel soon. I just got I'm, I'm going to record it this week and then we'll see when I'm allowed to post it. But very excited for that one. Definitely a game I'm looking forward to. And oh, my gosh, Peter, j- just for a moment before we get into uh, Agamonia, why are there so many good games or games that I'm excited about delivering like all at once? So here's a few things that are coming soon. Uh, I just got literally today the second set for Kinfire Delve that we both really liked. Yep. And I skimmed like literally 20 minutes ago. I skimmed through the encounter cards because I was that was I, I played the new characters at PAX, but I hadn't seen the new encounters. And they're like totally different, like no repeats of special abilities, no repeats of enemies. 
like very interesting new special abilities. It sounds like they will make your decision process really cool in different ways. So this is a completely different well, though. So you can't like mix it with the first set. You can. It even has different backs. So, you you know, you can mix and match your heroes. You can play one to four players now with this set. But you would have to pick like, am I going to fight Vainglory or am I going to fight whatever this other person's name is? And they have three bosses again? Yeah, I, I, I didn't look at that yet. I would assume, okay. yes, there's three versions of the boss. All I saw was like the basic well deck. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. Seventh Citadel is starting to deliver, which I know you and I were, well, maybe me more than you. No, I'm excited about that one. Okay. Because I, I wanted to enjoy Seventh Continent more than I did enjoy it. I liked what I was doing, but it just, it drug on for me. And then finally, uh, Primal is supposed to be delivering very soon. Yeah, I'm excited to play that one because you've always run it when we've played it and we've always played it on Tabletop Simulator and I just can't get a good feeling for what the AI is doing. So obviously running it myself and and seeing it in physical form, I think will make it much more like I liked what I was doing when I played that game and I love the concept of just zone movement and not like, you know, I move two spaces here, he moves two spaces to chase me. So I liked a lot of the concepts in it, but I just, I never could grok exactly what the AI was doing. So I didn't really have, feel like I had great idea what i should be doing if that makes sense no no, totally i I do think yeah i I was kind of doing you to disservice by not letting you understand what was going on with the enemies better but anyway yeah so and then like i got other preview things coming so i mean of course it's it's bad for my stress level (laughs) in my free time but very excited for a lot of things delivering but enough about that let's get to something that's already here we've already been playing a ton of agamonia age age mania Age Mania, yes. All right, so (laughs) Agamonia is a game set in a fantasy world that is very different from any world that you've seen, although you will probably notice some references from some of your favorite pop culture things. It's not as in-your-face as that one game we played that we compared to Gloomhaven at one point, uh, Sword and Sorcery, where it was like clearly Jack Sparrow sitting there, but you will definitely get some references Wait, I, I, I'm terribly mystified right now. I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean? You think there are pop culture references in Agamonia? Well, no, no, no. Just the stories of your characters and stuff. You're like, this character is kind of like Avatar. This character is kind of oh, like... Oh, I mean, like vaguely, but when you're... Yeah, Sword and Sorcery was like, literally, the name would be like Jack Sparrowton or something like that. Like, Well, yes. It, like I said, it's not as in your face, but... No, like, I, I wouldn't even... I would call it like, you know, it's it's partially inspired by or is reminiscent of... I, w- I wouldn't call it a pop culture reference. But anyway, we're, we're getting... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's <laughs> all right. No, I mean, it, it's all right to have this discussion here, although I, it may come up in one of my points later as well. It It is a very heavily story-based game, but there are also a lot of mechanics and things like that uh, as well. So it's not just a story game. But boy, when you get your character and when you're picking your characters, there is like a 30-minute monologue, like YouTube video for each character, like introducing you to your character. And so there is it's a very developed world let's put it that way and something we haven't seen before i think it does a good job of bringing you into the world better than some of these other universes where it's like a new universe where the story is is lesser i guess sure now i I will say like peter kind of didn't mention too many of the specifics this is a fantasy world there's a whole bunch of different races there's a bunch of different factions kind of fighting over control of the land but the big thing is that these Aox demons from another dimension are breaking through and 
corrupting people and doing terrible stuff. So kind of your like inciting incident and like your main goal seems to be to do something about these demons from another plane, you know, sort of like World of Warcraft ish, uh, like horde coming through Diablo. Well, uh, I guess both Diablo had the demons coming from hell and then uh, Warcraft had the burning legion coming from like their other dimension, like take over the world. Right. Yep. Yeah. Blizzard likes that. They do. They do. All right. So anyway, uh, mechanically, I won't go into too much detail because it's a very big game. But this is, uh, like many adventure games recently, split between sort of like a narrative city portion. I think Gloomhaven, you get to like do some stuff and like buy some stuff. You'll have event cards that you'll draw like in that section that will come out of the deck. And you'll sometimes add event cards. Some of them are like keyed to things you did previously. You'll be able to like buy stuff and level up and such. But then you go to the adventures and those are on mostly a open up booklet. There are a few larger adventures that are on like their own separate boards, but most of the stuff in the game is on like, you know, sort of Jaws of the Lion or what have you style books that you open up and play on. And you are moving around the world and there is a adventure deck for each or a story deck for each adventure you can play. And you'll like reveal them as you go around. So you'll kind of like discover stuff. And there's some exploration aspect. You pick a, uh, each player picks one action at the start of the turn. Then you draw a card that determines initiative. And then you can like move some and do whatever your action is attacking or using a spell or moving even more. And you're trying to explore around fighting is not usually like the main goal of a scenario and it is fail forward. So you can't really like lose. And yeah, you just go through these different scenarios. Some are side, some are required and you level up and eventually you get to some kind of resolution. Yep. And for those of you who haven't joined us before, thank you for joining us. What we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is the least important, going to number one, which is the most important. But of course, they're all important, or we wouldn't bother wasting your time listening to us talk about them (laughs) at all. Or would we? Or would we? Yes. Uh, I'll start off. The number five I have is the town phase is actually pretty fun. I've played a lot of these games. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I like the in-between stuff. And I've almost never felt that way. The only other game I kind of felt that way about was Oathsworn. And even that tired on me pretty quickly. The town phase here is pretty quick to go through. You may go through your own little private adventure where everybody's kind of reading in their book and does their own personal stuff as they level up. But a lot of it is just doing some basic stuff in town, recovering yourself up, looking, doing some shopping. So yeah, no, I I actually, for whatever reason, and I mean, the more I think about it, the more similar to something even like Gloomhaven it is. But for some reason, I like it better here. And I'm not exactly sure why, because it's very similar. Maybe it's because you're leveling faster. And I kind of view the leveling part of it as part of the town phase. Plus you have like, some interesting options before you go in and do your next combat. Like what skills do I want to use and what weapons do I want to use with those skills and different things like that. So um, for me, it's not overwhelming the town phase, but it's enough to keep me interested without getting bored. Well, funnily enough, uh, my first one is also the town phase. And I agree that it is well done. Uh, It's pretty quick. Once you like kind of know how it works, it usually doesn't take more than like maybe 10 minutes or so. I think the event cards, I don't know if you mentioned that, but the event cards have kind of fun, like, oh, you did mention them? I did not. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, they have kind of fun, like, little choose your own adventure things. You see very different ones. Again, there are some seated in there that are particular to your character, so that's cool. The choices, you haven't seen much of this, Peter, but as you get to level two and level three and level four and level five, the choices open up greatly, but it's gradual, so it doesn't feel overwhelming. At least it didn't for me. 
like the first uh, when you first go to town, it's only a single one, you know, two page spread with options. But then you get to three pages, then you get to four pages. And there's like more and more places to go and more things to do and more things to spend your money on. And I also lumped in here kind of like the main storyline, because I feel like the scenarios are kind of more focused on like that scenario story. But like the overarching story kind of comes out a bit more in the city stuff and such. And I think it's pretty good. I mean, I, I did. <laughs> uh, Peter had mentioned like these kind of side stories. I listened to like every character's prologue and also read this whole like short story they commissioned, like 10 chapter like novella that kind of sets up the prequel to what happens in the game. And I was really into it. Like there are a few silly parts, but I think they got an actual fantasy novel writer to do it. And it's like, it shows like it is really good writing. It's really exciting. So this to go along with what Peter said, I think this is one of the better stories, like maybe up there with Oathsworn, maybe not quite Oathsworn, even though the writing is sometimes better, but I I do think that uh, this is really good narrative and the city phase is fun. So fully agree with you, Peter. Yeah, the city phase, the difference between here and Oathsworn is is pretty quick, as you said. And even if they added more pages, I feel like each thing you're doing is pretty quick and pretty like, oh, I need to buy potions. I'm going to go to the potion place. You know what I mean? It's not like 10 pages of reading every time you go to a different location or whatever. So I do feel like even if they added more options, it wouldn't be that overwhelming because most of the places are pretty straightforward as you go there. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you do your number four since we had the same thing? Uh, Sure, sure. So my number four is focused on the, this is a mix, by the way. It's something that I think could be a major stress point for some players. That's uh, the enemies and the timers. And I put these together because I think they serve very similar functions in the scenarios. So as I said at the beginning, most scenarios are not combat focused. There are some optional ones that are arena scenarios. There are some like defense scenarios where you are like just fighting things. But most of the time, it's not, like, just about fighting. But the enemies are there as a distraction, you know, as, as they are in many, like, dungeon crawler games and adventure games where you have some other objective to accomplish. But what's interesting about them is that they tend to be very tanky. It takes a lot of hits to kill them. It depends on the scenario a little bit, but that can sometimes be a little frustrating because it just, like, can take a while. And, like, you don't really want to fight that long. And, and it makes it almost feel like you have to, like, dodge around them and go, like, explore other things. And then at the same time, they have a, for most scenarios, they have a fate deck you're drawing from with values from one through five. And that's going to act as a timer, usually making things happen and events take place, but also usually ending the scenario early. And I know some, you know, I I don't mind timers. I recognize often the need for timers, but I know some gamers like hate having timers and like, can I just explore every nook and cranny, which I think is is more of a video game mindset. You know what I mean? Because that's certainly how video games tend to handle this kind of stuff. Like, hey, yeah, go ahead. If you want to spend 30 hours in Fallout exploring this one corner of the map, that's all on you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Whereas board games don't tend to do that. So I will say both of those can be frustrating sometimes, even for me, who understands their purpose. But I think they add tension to the scenarios. I think they maintain the replay of the scenarios because it's going to rush you along and you won't see everything. So there'll be a little bit more to see next time you try it. And I think they really lead to some of the toughest choices in the game. Like, when do I want to fight? When do I want to dodge around this? How can I kite around this person? So I think there's a lot of good there, but this is certainly going to be something that will really piss off certain types of players, I think. Well, and I think the reason that the monsters are so tanky is because there aren't that many of them, as you had kind of pointed out. The maps are not small, small, but they're kind of small. And so you're only facing typically just a few monsters at a time. So I think the reason they made them tanky is so they don't have to add like 50 million monsters to the board. And I appreciate that. 
personally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even saying they should have less life. It's just something to note. Like sometimes you'll be punching a guy for like three actions in a row. Yes, for sure. That is, uh, <laughs> that is for sure. All right. So my, my number four, and I didn't even talk about the enemies at all. And that, that'll tell you something about what, what the focus of the game is. <laughs> well, right. Cause I'm focusing on my board and I think that will come through more and more as, as you know, my five points come through. A lot of what I talk about here is stuff that is right in front of me, which I personally appreciate. So my number four is the tests. So you basically have three different attributes at the bottom of your thing. And it just, I mean, they're basically numbered one through three. There's nothing overly special about them. You've seen tests like this before. You roll a certain number of dice. When you get to a location, you're looking for successes. And it works actually the same as combat, which I appreciate as well, where the dice give you a certain number of successes. It could be a critical where you get to roll again. It could be a single hit. It could be a double hit. Or it could be something where you have to use stamina to increase the hits to up to two hits. So, um, But you roll a certain number of dice, and you're trying to get to a certain number of successes. Now, uh, what I put here, is, and this is it's a little bit of a mix, because first of all, you don't really know what tests you're going to need. Now, you can maybe, you tell me, Mike, as you play further through the game, like, the illustrations and artwork's pretty good. So you might be able to surmise from looking at the map what you might need in certain locations. Like you might need strength in an area where you're trying to like wall up a dam or something. Or you might need magic if there's something glowy over there. I will say, even in the scenarios we play, I think if you think about it, it tends to make sense. Like here, this is yeah. very non-spoilery, but we played a scenario recently. There was a crack in the floor. And when you got there, it said, you need to make an agility test to get over the crack in the floor. Yep. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yep. then uh, and then Peter was like, oh, look, uh, th- that, that wall is blocked. I see there's a cart there. What do we should do? And when you got there, you have to make a strength chest to push the cart. So, yeah, I do think uh, if you pay attention to the maps, certainly it often telegraphs to an extent, like which character you might want to send over there, which one's going to be better. I think so. I like how they handle these tests. So it's usually as you get within a certain range, you can kind of see what's going on. And then it'll say, if you want to do the test, flip it over or whatever. And a lot of times it does really cool things. Like it may change the way the map looks. It may, you know, give you certain bonuses at the end. And a lot of these are kind of like achievements in a video game. And at the end of the mission, you're like, oh, did you do this? Will you get this? Did you do this? Will you get that? So that part is really cool. I also think it's good because there's decent mitigation to it. Again, if you have more stamina, you're more likely to succeed. There's one of the spots, and we'll get into how you take your actions later, but that basically lets you roll extra dice when you take these tests. So there are ways to mitigate, although at the same time, you could just roll pretty poorly and kind of waste your action or or your maneuver for the turn. Now, sometimes, and even a lot of times, I would say, well, maybe not a lot of times, but sometimes it's even free. Like every time I go on this space, I get to take this test again. And maybe we're building up for a certain number of successes. In that situation, it feels less random to me because you're taking a lot of rolls at it. It's not just one roll at it. So eventually, you know, your odds will hopefully even out if you have a bad role or if you have a really good role or whatever else. So yeah, no, I mean, the tests, it's not a necessarily focal point of the game, but it's, I don't know, I guess it happens as much as combat. So yeah, I mean, I think they're pretty easy, pretty straightforward, but I kind of like how they handle them with the cards and things like that. Yeah, I would say they're way more common than combat. And and I agree. My number three is partially related to that. It's kind of like the overall action system. I, I put a ton of stuff in here. But just to talk to your point first, Peter, I think that the the dice checks are great. 
I, I don't think you you highlighted this as much, but I love that two of the six faces have the symbol for stamina. There's a reason I didn't highlight that. Oh, well, never mind. I'll leave that for later. <laughs> but other things, other things. Um, so the initiative system, that kind of goes into the actions. I love this. So you, now, <laughs> I know Peter and Jerry are annoyed because the slowest speed is green and the fastest speed is red. So it's like the reverse of what you might expect from a traffic light. But besides that annoyance, <laughs> I like that you, you the different actions you can pick on your turn. Basically, you put your little like pawn next to an action. That'll determine what you get to do in addition to moving, like whether you do a range attack or a close attack or a boosting spell or that kind of thing. So the action you pick will have a color on it and you have the general expectation that if I'm going red, I'm going to be faster. If I'm going green, I'm going to be slower. And then the enemies have the exact same thing. But when you flip over the initiative card, it's going to determine, oh, well, okay, blue enemies go before blue heroes this turn and then green enemies. But oh, wait, red heroes go last. What the heck? And they'll give you like a bonus sometimes. So I think that's great. It's like mostly controlled initiative with a little bit of surprise. I think that the dice system is great. I think Peter's probably going to talk about this more as a separate thing, so I won't go too much into it. But I really like the stamina system. You're spending stamina to take a lot of actions. You're spending stamina to like move extra to resolve tests in a more successful way. Then you're recovering in different ways. Then damage uses the exact same stamina, but flips it to its red side. It's a cool system. I'm a sucker for good resource management systems in like adventure games in general. I think this is one of the cooler ones I've played. So, Peter, I, I won't say any more because I know you're probably going to get into some of that stuff. Why would you think that, Mike? Just because I said that I might talk about that later. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, but not yet. Not yet. My number three is the story. And it is a story-heavy game. Like, that is one thing to realize. There is a lot of reading stories. You are doing things. Like, and and not just outside of the game, you know, in the town phase or whatever else. But even in the story, you're like rescuing things and you are welling up dams and like you said it's not all about combat itself it's about like doing these other actions like rescuing families and they add little things in and you know sometimes later on you said you do an event card every town phase sometimes some of those things come back later on as well to either help you or hurt you so i do like how story-based it is although i will say for me it gets a little bit much at times I mean, I, I think that's probably my biggest critique of the game. I know for some people, it will be their biggest favorite thing that they have about the game is how good the story is. While they created a very unique world and there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, I think sometimes it takes me out of the world a little bit too. So for example, Gloomhaven has like the Inox, which is one of the races in the game. Pretty quickly, I know what an Inox is in that game because a lot of other things are like similar to stuff like skeletons or whatever else stuff we know. But I feel like here they were trying to get fancy with like a lot of the words. I mean, it's in the name of the game, right? Agamonia, like versus something like Gloomhaven, right? <laughs> like, you know, just the word itself is like more of a, I don't know, at least in my mind, more of a nonsense word. And I feel like a lot of these races are that way as well. It's hard for me to figure out who or what's going on. They're like, yeah, you run into this person. Who's this faction in this? Now they do a good job of kind of reminding you and, and, in the story, I, I will say it's a little mature because they do remind you about stuff also by like, oh, I don't know, this person's on drugs. And I don't mean mature like like nudity and, and 
you know, pornography. Right, it's, it's, it's not like KDM. <laughs> yeah, it's not KDM, but it is like very mature. There is definitely drug use in there. There's definitely racism in there when they're talking about my faction, specifically the one I use. There's definitely a lot of like slurs and things they use. Now, not slurs that are against races in real life, but certainly it's they have a lot of racist topics um, that come up. You know, when they're talking about my faction specifically, I know more about them than I do the other factions because I've read more about them. I've heard more about them. That's the other thing. I'm not necessarily hearing your stories. And that's what we've chosen to do. We're each kind of reading our own personal stories. Personally, Uh, you can tell people about them. And I think that's what they suggest in the book. But yeah, no, there's there's just a lot of adult themes going on, but not like nudity based themes. So I do think it is important for people to know that. But yeah, I just wish they had also just used more common terms or or easier to pronounce terms or whatever else, just something that would make it easier for me to follow along because sometimes I get lost when they're talking about all these different factions and races and things. Sure. And I'll say this from my perspective, and I have like read a bit more of like the literature that comes with the game, which, you know, not saying you should have to do that for a board game (laughs) to like get it. But I'm very like familiar with which race is which, like Peter, you're a Patangan and you have four arms and you live in jungles and and the the cats that are like the rulers of the area are in there than a Tigri, you know, and they worship the stars. Like I've got all the basic stuff down and I know all the words, but I, I fully expect many players to have the same reaction you did, Peter. Also, uh, for the maturity level, I think it's very limited, the stuff that might be a little bit disturbing. I I played some of the game with my 8-year-old and 11-year-old, and they had a great time with it, and I read many of the character stories to them, and they didn't have any trouble. They are, like, a little bit more mature than the average 8- and 11-year-old, but yeah, I don't think it's, like... I would not say, like, I would give the warning that I would give for, like, KDM or something for this, you know what of I mean? Of course it's, not. No, no, no. But some people might not like drug use in their game. Of course, yes, yes. That is one that. thing. <laughs> There's definitely, yeah, in my, in both Peter, funny enough, in both Peter and my character stories, drug use is a somewhat major plot point, whereas it's yes. really not, well, I guess Jerry's one has kind of like slavery. So yeah, I mean, it, it is a fantasy world that is not so nice. You know, I guess that's, yes. that's a good way to put it. All right. So my number two is focus on the characters. Love a lot of stuff about this. So there are, uh, I think seven characters in the base game. And there there appear to be, like, two extra characters. They're, like, there's a slot for them. They're kind of hinted at. So I'm like, oh, where are these people coming from? (laughs) But but the seven that we have, they are very different in their powers and things. I like uh, how they, they, like, level up and slowly get more and more diverse. The leveling is fun. Now, I, I will say it is a game where you don't level, like, after every mission. You know, you level up like kind of during the tutorial, then you have to do two or three missions to level up. Then you have to do three or four missions to level up. But you are getting gear that's different, but the gear is not that different. So it's 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 not like, you know, some dungeon crawlers let you level up after every mission. It's more, uh, it's kind of along the same lines as like Tales from the Red Dragon and maybe a little bit faster than that. But I think the leveling is fun. You get to pick a class. You get to pick uh, different abilities. You can gain a profession once you go a little bit farther along. And it just feels good. Like this is a game where so far playing multiple campaigns, I have not minded like being my character for a while, which is also partially based on the other stuff you're doing, which is a lot of fun. But the big thing I want to focus on is the personal narrative. So Peter and I have talked about kind of like the overall narrative, but I love this is the best I have ever seen of an adventure game getting me to care about the characters and like get into them. 
because they put so much freaking work into them. <laughs> so you've got an entire short story for each character to give their background. And this is like a major thing. Like, yeah, you don't have to read the entire like novella I read, but every player, if they have the time, kind of like an RPG prep, should like listen to, you know, they have an audio version you can listen to for free. They have written versions you can read on the website, or if you get the optional book, you can read them there. You do need to know what's going on with your character to like get the full sense. But then whenever you like level up and go back to town and stuff, you get like your own little book just for your character. And it's like a little like choose your own adventure like thing in there. And and like Peter said, we we just kind of read to ourselves and then summarize afterwards. But you could like read to each other and you get to make like little action choices. The city phase we already mentioned, you get unique choices based on like who your character is. I'm just enthralled with it. Like I think it's it's the coolest I've ever seen of making you care about characters. And, and you know, I've, I've seen similar kind of things like Gloomhaven and Jaws of the Lion would have like, hey, you get to go on this quest because you have this character in your party and you get to have this event. This is several steps beyond that, though. And yes. for me, at least, as somebody who likes narrative and wants to care about my character, especially with my RPG background, I appreciate it greatly. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't get into the character specifically, but I, I'll touch a little bit more on leveling again, because that was part of my town phase thing. And I, I touched on it a little bit. You're right. You level relatively not quickly. I feel like you level fast early on, like your first, they get you into it by giving you new stuff for your first couple of missions, almost like a tutorial as they ramp you up to almost like a basic level of power. But the thing I appreciate, as I said before, is you can easily change between what you're using. And I do feel like when you level up, it's noticeable. It's not just like change one card in your entire deck. I mean, again, I don't mean to pick on Gloomhaven, but I feel like sometimes I'd level up there and I'm like, yeah, I don't really care about that. Or maybe I get to use a card once per mission. Like the stuff you're leveling up into, you're going to use. Like you could use it every turn if you wanted or, you know, quite a bit during the mission. They they don't limit it the same way they do in other games. Well, I, you haven't gotten to the higher levels. It does get a little bit more limited because the highest level skills you unlock are very expensive to use. They need like special resources and stuff for a ton of stamina. So I do yeah. agree with what you're saying, but I, I think it actually is a bit more similar to like leveling in Gloomhaven and getting like that once per use or twice per mission like card. It does kind of get to that level a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I we noticed it already. Like, the first skills you get are free. Then they might cost one stamina. Then they may cost, you know, three later on. Well, I guess I'll get into that when I get into that point, which is not yet. Because my number two <laughs> is the action system. So in the game, you get to do one maneuver. And then you get to, well, you get to kind of pick what you're doing. But the maneuvering could either be moving a couple of spaces. You could pay some stamina to move extra spaces. And then you could choose a second action. It could be a second maneuver or the other option you do when you maneuver. Sorry, one of them's moving. The other is regaining your health and stamina. So that's one option. But you could choose what you'd have to do one maneuver, but you can then choose like what your second action is going to be. Is it going to be an attack? Is it going to be to like get better at these skill checks? Is it going to be to take a second maneuver so you can really almost take a healing turn? So I, I like the options. Now, most of them that I've seen so far are combat based. So you're really just getting more cool combat skills. But I do like the simplicity of you're basically doing a maneuver and then you get to do one other thing along with that. As Mike said as well, for different characters, it costs different amounts to move further. It also, the timing is different. So as Mike said, there's three colors. There's red, which is the fastest, blue, middle, and green, slowest. Now, 
it's a random order each turn, but in general, that is how fast it's going to be. And I like how different characters have different speeds for their different actions as well. Like everybody's got a double maneuver action, but it's going to be different timing based on your character and how good your character is at moving fast or whatever else. So that's kind of nifty as well. I just like how simple and straightforward the system is. If similar to Gloomhaven, if you get in a situation where like things don't work out the way you want, or maybe you just want a little bit more mitigation or whatever, you can always choose to not do a second thing, whatever the second thing you chose, an attack or whatever, and either heal one extra or move one extra space. So there's a little bit of flexibility in what you're doing there as well, even after you see the order of things and how things have shaken out a little bit. So I just like how simple and straightforward the one maneuver and one action, basically, but you do pick the action at the beginning, so it's not like you have unlimited choices when it comes to your turn, but I like how everybody selects their action and that determines the initiative as well. So um, just love how simple and straightforward that system is with some interesting choices. Yeah, fully agree. All right, it's so my number one, easily the most important thing about the game to me and the most distinctive thing about the game, the scenarios and the exploration. Man, oh man, can't say enough about how much I adore this. And, you know, Peter and I have said before, we like scenario based games where it's not the exact same thing over and over again and that can happen in different ways like boss battlers with very different terrain or very you know like a tales from the red dragon Inn had very different scenarios like for combat it's still all combat focused but the terrain you could use and the options you would have would change up greatly or like a game like oath sworn you have very different bosses even if like the the map you're fighting on is kind of similar you know, whereas some other dungeon crawlers and adventure games can kind of get into like, eh, it's kind of the same thing over and over again. It's nondescript rooms and the same sort of enemies and all that kind of stuff. Gosh darn, Agamonia does different things every friggin' scenario. I'm I'm more than, the, the furthest campaign I've gotten, I'm more than halfway through. And it's just wild. Combat focus, not, co- like even, they have arena, optional arena battles. And you'd be like, oh, well, this is going to be the most basic. You just fight something. Nope. It's like its own cool little puzzle. They found their own like cool tactical way to do things and like crazy things going on there. And combine that with the exploration cards. Oh my gosh. There's so much like little fun, surprising, weird, interesting, emergent story in these things. Like Peter mentioned, like you're saving people and and like things pop up. And, and if you look at the map carefully, you can kind of figure out what might be over there and you can kind of predict things that might be dangerous to you. Now, the one caveat is that you can't explore everything, like I already said. Like, that's kind of how it's set up. And also, sometimes, like, because you went somewhere, the scenario is way harder. And if you hadn't gone there, it's easier. So you can kind of, like, learn, potentially, if you played through the campaign multiple times, like, what the nastiest things are. But I'll be honest, you know, when I played through more than half of the game, and then I stopped and, like, started a new campaign with Peter and Jerry, I already forgot a lot of the stuff that happened. <laughs> so unless you have a way better memory than I do. If you play through the whole like 26, 27 like campaign with branching choices and stuff, I can't imagine you're going to have like perfect memory of all the little things. And again, you won't have seen it all. But yeah, like the way you're like revealing cards and reading them, I don't know. And, and the artwork kind of calls to mind old uh, adventure book games like Lone Wolf and that kind of stuff, which is totally my catnip. So this is, I'm not sure if everyone will love it as much as me, but darn it. Every scenario, I'm just so excited to see what's there. 
and they reward me every time. You know, even if the reward is like a slime jumping on my face, it's still awesome. So adore <laughs> this about the game. Adore this. Cannot emphasize enough. It's what I wanted an adventure game to be. And I don't think anything is ever delivered for me in that particular way on this level. You know, like a, to, to compare this to something like, I don't know, the closest thing would kind of be like Mansions of Madness second edition or like Journeys in Middle Earth where it's like app assisted, but the game's not really as much about that. Like Mansions is probably a little bit closer, but this one feels like a cool tactical game where I can look at the map and see exactly what's there, which is so meaningful. Whereas like with Mansions of Madness, as cool as the story can be there, it's like, hey, there's a token over there. We told you in some text that there's a boat there. You can't see it because the tiles are all whatever they are, but there's definitely a boat over there. You know what I mean? Like it, this is so like viscerally real and ex- exploration based. And it's, I just love it. Sorry. I'm, I'm kind of going on too much. No, no, no. I, I, I kind of agree with you that I didn't think about this before. And maybe that's why the slower leveling and everything else doesn't bother me. And, and even the skill checks being a little ho-hum, like they're fine. Like I'm excited. I love exploding dice. I love the choices you're making with stamina and health, which is my number one, by the way, uh, is the stamina and the health system in the game. And I'll get to that in a second. But like, yeah, it is kind of like a Mansions of Madness or Journeys in Middle Earth or whatever, where you can't get to everything. It's kind of about exploring, but kind of not. You're getting a little bit of level up as you go along. Yeah, no, I I think that's actually a a really good parallel that I never drew before. Because, yeah, you're like looking at a map and you're like, yeah, there's something over there I want to explore. Now, instead of having a little token the way they do in those games that get removed, they have a like letter and it's like when you get here draw this card so but but i mean it's very similar feeling to me the more and more i think about it so yeah no that's a a really good point and a really good pull out but as i mentioned my number one is the stamina and health system you start with like eight at the beginning of the game different characters may be different but this is how you do some action so if i want to move two spaces i can do it just fine but maybe it costs me two or even three stamina to move some extra spaces so i move that off my board as a as a maneuver action beside moving, I, like I said, I could recover some of those things. Different characters have different level of recovery for not only this stamina, but also, and it's usually like three or something like that, but it's also uh, for, for healing. So this stamina also counts as your health. So as you take damage, you're flipping over these tokens, as Mike had pointed out earlier, to a wounded side, and different characters have different healing as well. And again, it's all very simple. You just do it as part of your maneuver. So as a maneuver, you move, you heal stamina, or you heal health. And those are basically your options for each maneuver you do. You might be able to do two a turn. So like I said, that's kind of a healing turn. So yeah, I, I don't know. I just love how this system works. Games like conan where you have this stamina pool that kind of goes away but you're going to get like six back every turn right I, i'm trying to think of other games that did this. well osworn has that to an extent too you know it's, it's very similar to conan in that you're like using stamina to move around and then getting it back this is what our design discussion will be on by the way yeah yeah but here you don't automatically get it back you have to take an action mm-hmm. but it's like you get it as a free action every turn. So do you want to get that stamina back or do you want to move a little bit further and try to do more stuff? Do you want to get the stamina first? Like the puzzliness of when you get the stamina back is important as well. Cause there were times where we've messed up and gone, okay, no, I really w- should have rested first here. Right. Like I'm just going to pretend I rested. Cause you know, you roll your dice to do a test or whatever else. And it does matter. Like, 
because you need that stamina to also power up your dice sometimes and make them count as successes. So just all around, I really like how you're getting and spending stamina. It reminds me, even in a little way of Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, where you get these cooldown markers, mm-hmm. you don't have that exactly, but you're cooling down with stamina and just you're choosing where to use that stamina because you can't use it on everything. And, you know, how much time and energy do you want to spend getting stamina back? You could really exert yourself, but then you're probably going to take need to take a couple of turns just getting that back. Healing works very similarly. You can heal stamina back from yourself and other characters in the area with some healing characters or health. So I don't know. I, I just... I really love the way this health and stamina system works in combination with what you do for your actions. So uh, to me, just the top two points really work together in a very satisfying way uh, as far as the puzzle goes. All right. So yeah, final thoughts. I'll go first. This is so far, we're, we're only close to one sixth of the way through the year. So far, this is easily my game of the year. I cannot imagine, even with all the things, you know, I said Seventh Citadel is coming. Excited about that. Primal is coming. I cannot imagine a world where this won't be in my top five at the end of the year. Will it be a number one? I don't know. There's a lot of good stuff coming this year. But I I love this one. Like I said, this is what I wanted an adventure game to be. I'm so enthralled with the way they do character stories. I adore their scenario design and like the exploration and how exciting it is. It's fail forward, which I like. You don't have to redo stuff. Like, okay, you screwed up. Okay, you didn't get quite all the rewards you wanted. Suck it up and move on. You know what I mean? Like, I like that. The characters are fun. Like, I, I, as well as Peter, love the dice system, love the like action system, the stamina management. I've enjoyed it solo. I've enjoyed it cooperative. I've enjoyed it with my sons. This is a slam dunk for me. It might work for you. You know, again, the biggest pain points... You might not want, you know, if you read a lot, maybe if you don't want to read a lot, maybe don't check this game out. If you get really annoyed with timers and want to explore every nook and cranny and have like not have them telling you you can't, you might not want to do this one. Unsettled had the same thing. If you don't like games where there's like bad and good things to do, but you don't know what they are and like playing a scenario for the first time is going to kind of reveal those things to you. This one also might frustrate you. But apart from that, if you like big, meaty, story-based adventure games, this is one of the best I've played. Heck yes, Agamonia. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not as enthusiastic as you, but I really do enjoy it. I mean, obviously, for me, it would be the game of the year as well. But that's not saying a lot since it's February and we've reviewed like (laughs) two games or three games. You've reviewed a lot more than me, but I've only only reviewed a couple this year. But yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And it's funny because this doesn't happen often where the reasons you like the game are spelled out at the top of your list and the reason I like the game are spelled out at the top of my list and they're completely different reasons. Like you like it for the story, for the narrative, for the diversity of missions. It almost reminds me, and, and I didn't think of this till now, also of Arkham Horror the Card Game where you've got this fail forward, you've got this exploration element to it and the story element to it, which I, I guess makes sense why you like it because that's one of your favorite games. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's all about the puzzle of like, how do I get to the, you know, achieve the mission goals for that mission? How do I move forward? And maybe my goals are different than the mission goals. I know in the last one, there was some stuff I wanted to explore. And I I may have turned into a Jerry a little bit, which is somebody who like 
kind of goes off on their own personal quest when everybody else is trying to like achieve the main goal for the mission. But like, there was something I really wanted to see. And I was like, all right, well, you guys fight back there for a little bit. I'll be over here like <laughs> taking care of this thing, seeing what's going on. I really want to see what's in this box. So yeah, I mean, it's got a little bit of that as well, but I mean, just, I love the mechanics of it and just how the puzzling nature of it works. And I think that says a lot of good things for the game, right? It's got a little bit of both. It's got this story exploring part along with this very, at least in my mind, I haven't got bored with it yet. Very interesting combat mechanic. So yeah, for me, it's going to be very high up on my list. I'm guessing for both of us, it'll probably be a top five game. I'm curious to see what else comes out this year, but this will definitely be high on the list at the end of the year for sure. Yep. So uh, there you go. Big, big recommend from us. Again, if if this is not a game type you totally bounce off of, like if... if <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> it's not going to be for everybody. And it is big. It is expensive. We got a review copy of it. Although, gosh, I don't know. I, I probably would have gone all in on this one even without the review copy just because I enjoyed the... I mean, I, I remember... Like, Peter forgot about the game <laughs> for a while. <laughs> but I remember distinctly that once we got TTS access, we played through the whole tutorial. We played like an extra mission. We recorded three different plays of the game. Like I was over the moon for this one and, and seeing the final product has only made it better. Like it's only gotten better than I remember, which is pretty dang impressive. And the missions and the stories, I, I, I just want to kind of harp on this as well, are really well balanced. Yeah, they're a little bit challenging. At least like the last one we did was a little bit challenging. But it seems like at least early on, they've done a really good job playtesting, which you don't always say about games like this. Now, it's impressive with how huge the game is, right? Yeah, I'm really happy with the level of playtesting and balance they seem to have done with it. It's not to the point where like, you know, oh, everything's going to feel the same. In fact, it feels very different each time I play it. But, you know, it's always a pretty tight, end of the mission we're gonna win are we not gonna win you know coming down to those last couple turns i don't think it's again so finely tuned that like it's boring but no i'm impressed with the amount of playtesting they did and and obviously they put a lot of love and passion into it so yeah I, i mean it's cool to see something where it's clearly a passion project like this where they've kind of hit all the points on it yep all right so uh we'll try to keep the design discussion a little quicker since this one is running a bit long But uh, we've already talked about it some different ways to do like action systems in dungeon crawlers. So I feel like the most standard Dark Souls has this to an extent, although you do have like stamina you can spend is what? Two actions a turn. Yep. Some some, often it must be move, must be attack. You know, like that. That's probably the most restrictive classic that that goes right into like D&D, right? You get an action and a move and you go. And I guess, you know, in Agamonia, you have an action and a move. That's not <laughs> completely different. Yeah. I mean, it could be two moves, though. And, and like Descent, the newest one, Legends in the Dark, you could do two attacks. You could do two moves. So some of them are less restrictive as far as that goes. But I think you're right. A lot of them do let you do an action and a move. But this one's unique, I think, in the fact that you have to choose ahead of time. And Gloomhaven too, right? You're looking through your set of cards. That one has an action and a move as well, typically, because the bottom of the card's almost always something to do with moving. The top of the card's almost some, always something to do with attacking or an action type thing. So, uh, and, and that one has the option too, where you're picking ahead of time and it determines your initiative for the turn. So yeah, I, I think we- that's a clever spin on what that traditional standard two action system. 
Yeah, and you're right. And I like how Agamonian and Gloomhaven, in different ways, both do that expected initiative, but not 100% sure, right? Like, if you play, like, your card that is your fastest card, you're like, I'm probably going to go faster than all these enemies. You know what I mean? But right. you're not 100% sure. Now, it's not quite to the extent of Agamonia, where, like, literally just this round, by chance, the fastest card could suddenly be the slowest. But I, I do like that kind of system. I think it's fun. It's a fun middle ground between D&D, where it's like, I go at Initiative 19, you go to Initiative 17. That's how it'll be every round. You know, just go around the table, basically. And it's a fun middle ground between that and like Tales from the Red Dragon Inn or Kid and Fire Chronicles, where you're drawn from a bag, you know, or Aeon's End, like you're drawn from a bag and you're like, I don't know when I'll go. <laughs> you're right. Right. I have no control or any choice in it at all. You know, and, and all those can work for the game. But yeah, I like how they have tied the action system to the initiative. Definitely like a cool thing for both those games. Yeah. And then the way they do it here, I mean, the way they do it in Gloomhaven where it's a number and like there are some super low numbers, like one or whatever, or three, like, you know, you're going to almost definitely go first. There's some benefits to that. For example, you could put shielding up or defense or whatever. It makes defensive actions more viable, I feel like. Whereas sometimes you were like trying to be tanky for the turn. They just went before you, right? And you're like, well, I guess I'm not blocking this turn. <laughs> like, Even though you had taken an action that gave you extra shielding or whatever, it's like you didn't get it because your initiative didn't come up first. And I'm not sure if I like that or not. I mean, it, in some ways it's better, but in some ways I could see how it would be frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I will say that my character, depending on which class upgrades I get, allows me to change my initiative so I can, like, make that action faster if I want to. Oh, okay. But you're right that, like, it can be a little bit annoying with any game that has, like, non-set initiative. I think this one is, again, better than most. And a really nice thing for this one is that if characters have the same initiative color, they can freely choose what order they go in. So you can set up, like, combos and stuff in a way that's tougher in a lot of other games with initiative systems. But back to action... Yeah, so I think you've got, like, a lot of games, really when you drill down to it, so many games in this genre have, like, move and attack for obvious reasons. You know, and sometimes they give you a bit more flexibility. Maybe you get two actions a turn, but you can attack twice or move twice. How about that? You know, <laughs> or, yeah, <laughs> like, they, they change it up in some ways, but I, th I think you can also make it interesting in other ways. So it's not just how many actions you have a turn, but it's the resource management. We already brought that up. So in this one, you've got the stamina chips makes those basic actions so much more interesting. In Dark Souls, you can spend stamina to move farther. In Oathsworn, you can spend stamina to move farther, and some actions uh, cost more in terms of cooldown, you know, and you don't get them back for as long. In Gloomhaven, the basic move is suddenly not a basic move a lot of the time because you've got, like, this interesting ability on the bottom, and you can flip-flop which action you want to use. So, yeah, I think... Or, sorry, I, I was talking about resource management. Well, I guess Gloomhaven has the cards as resources because they run out. Yep. Conan has the stamina token. So I personally really like those things. It just makes it feel a bit crunchier, but it's not really... Like, it's not something my eight-year-old can't play. You know what I mean? Like, Well, sure. But it still feels more involved than just, I move three squares and that's what I move. It's It's more nuanced. It gives you more tactical options. And, and I love any game that lets you, like, run your butt off if you really want to, even though it might cost something. You know what I mean? Yep. So the original Descent did this, too, where you didn't, and um, Imperial Assault as well, where you didn't even have to take a move action. You could just use your stamina to move around. So I think that's even a little bit different than the stuff we, we've seen in these newer games. Well, that that's something I hated about. I felt like it was such a step backward in Descent Legends of the Dark. 
both Descent Second Edition and Imperial Assault had stamina systems that I loved where you could really use your stamina freely and get extra movement and stuff. And then Legends of the Dark was like, nah, we really like flipping cards. It's all about flipping cards now, people. Flip the cards. <laughs> yes. But I think uh, Tales from the Red Dragon Inn is very similar and this one and even Gloomhaven in the fact that, yes, it's a move and an attack. But I think when you look at, you know, some older games, the, the your attacks are very basic. Yes. Whereas I think they're doing really unique things now with attacks. You know, not every attack is the same. Like, you know, in Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, you have your ability to, like, throw people or maybe you do an area of effect with some attacks. You know, so each attack is a little bit different. Maybe it costs you a different amount of resources or in uh, Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, it's cooldown time. Oathsworn, the same thing. You have a cooldown time. So the the more powerful the attack is, the longer it's going to take before you can get it back. So I, I really do appreciate that even though it's very simple, take a move, take an attack action. A lot of these games now are just not limiting your attacks to something very basic, but really presenting tactical options within the attacks. So it's not just like choose an attack, it's choose which attack you want to do. You, you know what? I, I just thought of this, but I think it's a, a an apt description. You know what I think they've done in these recent games? I think they've magicified physical attacks. Let me clarify yes. what I mean. So people who played Dungeons and Dragons, which a lot of these games owe so much to, you know what I mean? And I love Dungeons and Dragons. Of course. But in Dungeons and Dragons, in most versions, fourth edition broke out of this, fifth edition kind of goes back to this. In most versions of Dungeons and Dragons and a lot of RPG combat systems, archers, melee fighters, maybe rogues are a little bit more interesting, but they tend to just be like, I roll my dice, I do this much damage. You know, I get into range, I roll my dice, I do this much damage. Like, that's, that's the entirety of your decision process. And, yep. and a lot of your upgrades are like, okay, like, once per day, I can do a special hit. Or, I can hit you twice now, you know? And it's not really that different. But then wizards are like, I throw a fireball that hits 20 people. And then I do this kind of thing. And and, and I saw, you know, I think uh, Diablo and some games, especially like Diablo 2. These are video games I'm talking about now. Sorry, people, I'm jumping around. Like, they really started to do this. Like, when you were a barbarian in Diablo, like, yeah, you would just swing your axes, but you could also do your freaking leap, you know, and hit everybody around you and, like, all that kind of stuff. So I, I love that that sensibility that, like, basic physical attacks don't have to be boring. They can be like magic. They can have cool bonus effects. They can hit an area. They can push people. They can pull people. All that stuff. I love that this is being implemented in a lot of games. And I would say, honestly, Agamonia is not the best for that. Like, the powers do get cooler, but they're not that cinematic. Again, Agamonia's strength lies in other places. One extra hit, roll one extra right. dice. Yeah, yeah, for, for a couple extra stamina. And, and, and they like, get okay. more wild with the more expensive ones, but then you can't use them all the time. So Agamonia is not like the poster child for this. But Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, it's right on your board. Great. Gloomhaven, unique decks that upgrade with your character and do so many cool combinations. Awesome. Uh, even like uh, Oathsworn. Unique decks for your characters. Cool cooldown system. Uh, this new one that I, I previewed that's just on uh, Game Founder Kickstarter right now, Dante Inferno, another boss battler. Another one with unique decks of cards. Interesting, like, cool special actions. You know, again, you're, you're the rogue, but you don't just stab them. You play this card and lets you jump three spaces, climb up on something, attack them from above, plus three damage if they're facing away from you. It's like, hell yeah, you know, like it, does, it makes the tactical picture feel cooler. It makes it more cinematic. You feel like you're doing awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it might turn out to be the exact same thing. 
Like it might, in the end, it might just be, hey, you did plus two damage. But you know what? Tactically, you had to think about how to get that plus two damage. It was more interesting to make those options open up to you. And story-wise, excitement-wise, ah, it's so much different, you know? And that uh, yes. Peter, Peter and I's uh, dungeon crawler that'll hopefully be out at some point, <laughs> spare parts, we have the exact same kind of thing. Like you are doing cool things with your weapon and combining them in interesting ways and doing fun and throwing explosives at people and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love that even more maybe than the resource management system. I think that's what has made some dungeon crawlers and boss battlers shine so much for me. And it really, like, when they don't do it now, it's like, oh, what are you doing? Like, I, I can't yeah. go back. Like, th- this, again, goes, like, to Legends of the Dark. Like, they sort of had powers there, but they weren't really that exciting. I was just, like, attacking with the same attack, like, three or four times. I had to put it into an app. That game did not work for me that well. You know, and it's like, oh, I, I just take two actions. I move three spaces, and I I, I roll some dice. Five damage. Well, I think <laughs> I feel like it had the problem of you move up to the enemy and you just punch them until they're dead. Right. Like it, there was nothing interesting or tactical about the decisions. Where even here, we didn't really talk about it in Agamonia, but like if you get initiative on them, maybe I attack and either heal because I want to tank this next turn, or maybe I attack and run to make them, I can see how far they're going and what action they're taking. Maybe I get out of their range now and, and decide what I want to, you know live to fight another day or maybe i decided to double maneuver and then maybe my plan was to double heal but now i'm like oh gosh now i'm going to take four attacks if i do that i'll run away instead so they're definitely even after you make that initial choice i like the fact that your tactical decisions can change throughout the course of the game and that's what i want like the gloomhaven system started this with you know the two cards played you chose those and then you figure out later on how you want to do it and you have to tactically change your mind based on what comes up from the enemies i I do like these systems where you have to make choices ahead of time and then adjust on the fly what was the other one that we were just talking about that uh that other dungeon crawl that's coming out which would be my game of the year i'm sure if it came oh uh, title blades too yeah 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 yeah, 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 like that one was the same thing. Like you got these cards and you're making choices and it's like, yeah, I really need to change based on what situation I'm in. And I just, for me, tactical combat is one of the neatest things I love in board games. And I love how these games are taking very simple, you get a move and an attack and really doing neat things with them. Well, yeah, and I got to say, uh, that is probably my favorite, like gold standard way to do enemy activations now the way that Tidal Blades had it, the way that Agamonia has it. So it's not enemy move toward you go boom, which is fine. Like, I, I like that. That's cool. At least it's straightforward. It's not Gloomhaven or a lot of boss battlers, like flip a card from a deck and you kind of have an idea of what they might be capable of doing, but you don't really have any idea. It's not that. I like this thing of like, each enemy has three possible actions but something is going to randomize which one they're going to do, but you see what their range of activities is. I I like that mixture of surprise and cinematic variety for the enemies, but also predictability and strategy. I I love that mix. And again, like Agamonia, I love how they do the enemies. Tidal Blades, I think was a similar system. I loved it there. I think that's probably my favorite way for enemies, you know, because enemy activation changes your activation, like you just said, Peter. So even though this is sort of a different topic, it's also kind of the same topic. And yeah, I, I really love these newer systems they're working with here. 
Yeah, Tales from the Red Dragon Inn was very similar. You rolled a dice yep, for each yep. enemy at the beginning. And the interesting part there was that they weren't just a third, a third, a third. Like, some enemies were more likely to do certain actions than other actions, yeah. which was kind of nice. It's a little bit more obscure here because they have, like, an open eye, a half-closed eye, and, like, a closed eye. We didn't even really talk about that. And then the color may or may not have anything to do with which eye is, you know, right, I could have right, a red, right. super fast open eye, but I could have a very slow open eye as well. So I, I do like the fact that they gave themselves lots of options with how they could do enemy activations. Yeah. So again, we're talking about Agamonius still, but I, I think it all comes back to the end. Now, do you have a favorite system for these? Like, is there a way you'd prefer to see it? I, I... I'm torn. I mean, I, I still say that, like, for pure dungeon crawler battling, I think Tales from the Red Dragon is currently my favorite. So I love the variety in that one while keeping it pretty consistent. And then, like, as you level is up, you get more cool choices. Is it the cooldown system? Or? Well, yeah, I do. Re- I really like cooldown systems because that lets you get, cra- you know, we had a whole different design discussion on this in a previous episode. But it lets you get crazier with your ability design, right? Same thing with like cards that cycle back through your hands or Gloomhaven cards that exhaust after you use them. Like I love having super attacks. Like that's that's been something, that, you know, from like my video game days that I've loved forever. So anything that lets you do crazy stuff, but it takes a while to come back is great. That Yeah, so that might be my favorite. A either highly varied card-like available system, like Tales from the Dragon Inn with cools downs, or a unique player deck where the cards themselves in a Gloomhaven or Oathsworn style provide some kind of cooldown. Yeah, I, th- I think that's my favorite. Big, awesome effects that are still very unique. Almost no basic attacks, but there's kind of some cooldown effect to it to balance it. Yeah, I mean, Gloomhaven does have that, but it's very different for me. Like Tales from the Red Dragon and Oathsworn are probably my favorite of these systems because they have that cooldown system and you can affect the cooldown system as well Mm -hmm. the part about gloomhaven that bothers me or has always bothered me is i don't love losing the cards yeah i'm getting weaker as i go along my options are getting more limited as i'm going further and further into the dungeon i want to have cool options at any point of the game and if i use this one card for this one cool ability means i can never use it for this other cool ability i want to use both of them maybe i got to pay a cost for it you know some kind of resource or whatever else or maybe it takes me forever to get it back again so i can't do it that often but i like having the option to be able to do like all the cool stuff and uh and kind of pick and choose when and where i use it and and even this the system for gloomhaven where i got to use a card for movement like for the boring part at the bottom and then it's like oh now i want that top part and i don't have that option available to me i think that's what bothers me more about that system than the other systems where yeah i mean osworn Yes, I can't use that same ability, but it's not like I use that card to move myself two spaces or whatever. Sure. Um, I guess you use it for defense there, though, as well. Sometimes you do have to use your cool power to defend. So I guess there's a little bit of that. But again, I feel like I made that choice. It wasn't like, oh, the situation's completely changed and I don't have access. I I don't know. I don't know. I I just for me, I I think that's the way I like it. But I also like these resource cooldown systems or not just the cooldowns, but like the the Conan system and the Agamonia system where you get these health tokens mm-hmm. that you can choose to take actions to get back. I mean, it's very similar to the cooldown system where you can do these big cool attacks. They just require a lot of stamina or whatever. You may have to spend some time to heal up so you can use them again. 
I guess Gloomhaven just does that. It's just in a more simplified version, which you think I would like better. But for some reason, it bothers me when half the time I don't care about what's on the bottom. And then I care about it later on when I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have used that card. I should have used this card. I'm never going to use again. I think that it bothers me more there than if I use my stamina because it's not as direct a correlation, right? It's not like, oh, I use the stamina here where I could have used it here. Uh, it, for whatever reason, it doesn't feel as bad to me as when I just make a terrible choice in Gloomhaven. And I'm like, oh, man, I just use that card to move. Like, <laughs> what the heck? Oh, that's a good call. Yeah, for me, I really like systems, like we said, with cool special attacks, cool different ways to move, and then some kind of a resource, whether it be a cooldown system or a stamina system where you're, you can't do everything you want. And if you have these really cool big turns, it's going to take a while before you can do that cool big thing again. All right. Oh, there we go. That was a a big conversation all over the place. But yeah, Agamonia, great. And hey, Osworn, Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, still great. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Gosh, I want to get back to Osworn. Um, I know. I'm enjoying Agamonia, but I definitely want to get that one to the table again. Sure, sure. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks and we'll see you then. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I got somebody crawling around in my basement. Some what? people call it my my dungeon. <laughs> Do you call your dungeon Age Mania? Agmonia, yeah.